And sometimes, why? Why? Hello, folks. Welcome to And Sometimes Why. I'm your host, Rob Zabo. What do we do on this show? What we do is we have conversations. We get into thought process. We get into life experience. And we get into how we feel about it all. On the show this week... Kyle Bassett. He's a good buddy of mine, fascinating dude. He works on the bleeding edge of tech, but we don't only focus on tech. We talk more broadly about life. We learn all sorts of stuff. And when I say we, what I mean is me. How you guys doing? Have you been watching a lot of live streaming music stuff? I've been watching a ton of stuff. I've been listening to more music over this lockdown than in the previous 10 years. I'm not kidding. I've been doing that jukebox thing with some buddies. It's fantastic. Check that out if you haven't already. I've also been thinking about doing some streaming shows myself. A few good friends of mine have been doing private Zoom concerts. So not like the public Facebook live streams where it's all public, but more like a private house concert only on Zoom. Just you and your friends or your family or both. So the way it works is you host the Zoom call and I play. You can invite whoever you want. We all talk. You can heckle me. It's just like a real show. So if that kind of thing piques your interest, email me at rob at robzabo.com. If you want to get some more info and set that up, I'll post the email again in the show notes and I'll say it again at the end of the show. So I've been thinking a lot about the far-reaching implications of the whole corona pandemic and the lockdowns all over the world, and it's kind of blowing my mind to be living through this seismic change in the way that everything in the world works. And it doesn't only feel intellectual to me. I feel it in my intuition. I feel it in my body. It feels like, no, man, this is different. And I know I'm not some sort of sage. Everyone feels this right now, I think. But I really feel kind of lucky to be living through this era. I was reading Seth Godin's newsletter this morning, and sidebar on that, definitely sign up for Seth's daily newsletter. It's always so thoughtful and generous and always hard to argue with, man. The guy's on top of it. It's a great way to start your day and to tweak your perspective. Just Google Seth's blog and it'll come up. So back to what I was saying. In his blog today, so it's a blog, but it's also a newsletter that you get. Anyway, you get it. I want to quote one of the things he said. The industrial era, struggling for the last decade or two, is now officially being replaced by one based on connection and leadership. And he goes on, but I was just contemplating that. I think he's right. The last era is over. Everything's changed the world over in a matter of months. And it's the beginning of a new era. And that's exciting, right? Now, I don't pretend to be able to make any big pronouncements about the future in terms of specifics. And I know lots of people will suffer. And I know a lot of people around all of us are suffering. But I'm trying to take a positive view on this. And I think there's so many opportunities that if you tweak the way you're looking at it can be really exciting. So I think basically anyone who's telling you that we will, quote unquote, go back to normal is kidding themselves. I think this pandemic has accelerated all the changes that were on their way anyway, that were already underway. It's amazing how resilient we all are as humans, isn't it? So with that kind of forward thinking mindset in mind, this week's guest is definitely right up that alley. 
This week on the show, we have my good pal, Kyle Bassett. He works on the bleeding edge of tech. He's a disruptor for sure, as you'll hear in the convo. He's not afraid to mix it up. He's a partner at Arctic, the Toronto-based tech firm. For those of you who listened to episode number 10, you'll remember Tim Fairweather, who's also a partner there. These guys are doing groundbreaking work, and the way they're doing it is so impressive to me in terms of their corporate culture and just their whole approach. So let's do this. Here is my conversation with my good bud, tech pioneer, Kyle Bassett. This is something that you told me about a year ago in the summertime. You found your old penalty stats for hockey? Yeah, I was in college hockey. I used to play hockey at Seneca. This is what I remember about it. You told me that you were number one in penalties for the team and by a large margin, like maybe five times more than anyone else. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty ridiculous. You're thinking, why is Zabo starting with this? That said so much about your personality because anyone who meets you immediately sees this really affable, friendly guy. And the last thing you'd ever think is a hockey goon. And so when you told me that, I was puzzled. I'm thinking, that doesn't seem to fit. And you were kind of saying, well, it needed to be done. It was almost like a sacrifice for the team. And I thought, oh my God, does that ever say a lot about you? Like, here's this guy who's like willing to take hits for the team just to get it done. I I think it comes down to like, you know, when you grow up and you play hockey, well, I mean, it's, it's a life thing also, but a hockey thing is like, everyone has a role to play, right? If you're a real good team player, bet like the best teams are people who pick up their role and they do their job and they, they figure out what that is. And when I started playing there, like I moved up from PEI, I was 18 years old, right? I didn't really had my aunt and uncle here and didn't really know anybody and I wanted to play hockey. So you know, I tried out for the team and it was a good team. Like there were guys that played like pro hockey and stuff on this team. And I was just, I weighed like, a, I was like a buck 50 back then. Uh-huh. And I played, I played junior before that and stuff. And I played a similar role, I guess, like the old Kenny Linsman role. But it just, that was what was required on that team, right? I had to like, you know, and I, and I, it wasn't all about fighting. It was more just you played rough and tough hockey. And if someone messed with one of our better players, someone had to step up and do it and, and that was your um, role. Yeah, we had a couple guys on the team. I mean, I, I still put a few pucks in the net too, but yeah, it just uh I guess I didn't mind dropping the gloves when when the time came and have to do it. It was a tough league, so Right. And was yeah, that I never got beat up too bad, so I kept doing it, I guess. Was that something that one of the coaches took you aside and said, "Hey, this is how we see your role or or you took it on on your own? Oh, no, no. I don't think there's any ever pressure to do it. I think, you know, in hockey, you have your first line, your second line, your third, your fourth liners. And, you know, when you're on, I probably played in the third line, maybe fourth line my first year. So, you know, you get your ice time. You're playing against other guys that are, you know, different kind of players. So you just grind it out. You do what you got to do to do it. And yeah, I still remember, I think my mom came up to a game to watch at the rink and like second period, I ended up getting in a big scrap and fighting. And she's like, what the hell are you doing up here? And we won the game. So it didn't matter. Right. It was all, it was all worth it. You're like, mom, I'm just doing my job. That's my role. Just playing my role. I feel like you've brought that with you. I feel like you're not afraid to mix it up to get into it. And I feel like, you know, you're in the tech space. You always hear people talk about the word disruptive. Yeah, That seems to fit. Yeah. I think you just got to, you know, there's different personalities. I, I think I figured out what mine is. I use like my outgoingness to my advantage and 
I mean, business is the same way. You got to pick and choose what your role is. And it doesn't just come to you. You got to go after it, right? So you got to go fight and you got to like make relationships and, and make friends. But then you also know how, have to know how to ask, right? If you don't ask people for stuff, you don't get. I love hearing this. This is a life thing. Like when you figure out what your role is and it'll always change. Once you get comfortable with what that is and you just focus on it. Yeah, it probably comes a little bit from sports, I'm sure. Yeah, I haven't gotten a fight in a long time. I don't plan on to anytime <laughs> that's, soon. That's, so. not, that's not where I was going with it. I mean, you know, you're not <laughs> fighting on the street, right? It's a controlled environment. Well, not unless I have to, Zabo. If someone messes with you, man, I'll be the first guy, you know, making sure you're out. Okay. I'll give you a couple minutes to run away anyway. I'll, I may not win, but you'll have time to get, you know, get around the corner. Okay, I'll remember that, brother. so you were saying you grew up in PEI and you're talking about that's how you were raised I was lucky enough to be at your family cottage there this summer and I was really grateful to be there and I've done a fair bit of traveling in Canada and the U.S. and I gotta say the stereotype of East Coast Canadians is so true just the friendliest (laughs) most generous people I've got tons of stories about that and so now that you've been in the big smoke for many years and you look back at your growing up in PEI, what comes to mind? Well, I don't know. I kind of have the best of both worlds, right? Like I feel, I feel like I live in both places to a certain extent. We've found a way to be able to spend a couple months in, in PEI every year. So we take the whole family for July and August. I made like kind of a last minute choice to move to Toronto when I was like early 18 years old when I finished high school. I was going to stay on PEI. I was going to go to like a local kind of computer school. And then it was very late in the game. I decided to just pull the shoot and move to Toronto. And oh, really? I didn't realize that. Do you remember what the decision was or how, like, what moved you to do that? I don't remember exactly, but I remember I was accepted to school. I was, like, scheduled to go. Um, I think I found out there was, a, like, I started looking at options in colleges, and I found out there was a hockey team at Seneca, and then I got in touch with, like, the coach or something. He started talking to me, and then it was like, why don't you, why don't you come out? So it turned into a bit of a recruitment thing and it was it was more I had more of a reason than just to go to school I guess like right. I had so yeah I just kind of packed up my truck probably packed a couple of cases of keys back in then because you couldn't get it so I used to like <laughs> bring it up with me um, and then I, I had this little quarter ton truck that I would have drove up and I used to go home for Christmas so I used to drive home by myself like back to PI straight I was like crazy I would leave at like midnight in the middle of the winter and drive back to to see people and stuff That's nutty And then it just stuck but I used to come home every summer I had uh I had like good jobs I worked for the lottery my job was to like drive around to all the corner stores and just shoot the shit and make them feel good and my summer job was that so it was just driving around and you know making sure there was good signage for the lottery and just talking to everyone in every what, little one horse town and running events and things like that. And then I did that for, I think, two years. And then I worked at a radio station one summer. Yeah, I remember you so telling like, me about that. What yeah, you do that? I drove around a van and like did events. And it was the, like I would go into like the Strawberry Festival with my van with the lights on. I had, had like a pop machine built into the back with like, chips and stuff. So, you know, everyone wasn't hard for people to come up and talk well, to Well, totally. Were you always comfortable on stage like that? Or is that something you had to adjust to? Because I'm an introvert, man. Just through all of my 20s, being forced to like, I love music. So I was like, well, this is part of it. I got to learn how to talk to people. But it yeah. did not come naturally for me. I think I was always a bit of a joker in school and stuff. I was probably a bit of an asshole when I was a kid, I'm sure, to a lot of people. Um, 
so just, you know, wanting to be, a, you know, crack jokes, be the center of attention and stuff. I'm sure that was a lot of it. But I don't think it was until I got thrown into it, right? So there would be times when I would roll into like a festival and they'd be like, oh, perfect, you're here. Like you're, you're emceeing. And I'd be like, what do you mean I'm emceeing? And they'd be, yeah, yeah, you're here to emcee. You work for this. And I'd be like, oh, what are you going to do? Like, you're not going to, you're not going to walk away. You sure. can't say no. With some like lady who's volunteering her time trying to get everything organized and you're the closest thing to a celebrity because you got a van with a pop machine in it so you, you just do it you just roll the dice and you just uh get out of your own head find a way to tell the story and you'll be fine yeah it doesn't really face me anymore because i mean now with arctic you're on stage all the time at conferences and stuff like that and what better training than what you just described it's hard though i you know as much as I want to help other people do that. And, you know, you have to be pushed into a certain way, but then it's not everybody's cut from that cloth, right? But Well, yeah, I mean, you take uh, the stereotype of a guy who's a computer programmer or whatever. He's not necessarily the kind of person who's going to be comfortable on stage, right? So it's pretty powerful that you've got a bit of both. Yeah, I think so. Like I was, all, a lot of people told me I should always be in sales and in my early career when I was always in, in IT and I've always been doing sales to a certain extent. I mean, it's, it's just a different way of kind of selling, right? And uh -huh. So you just find different ways to do it. And and it is a hard skill to find someone who's got the tech side, but also, you know, can make good relationship quick and doesn't mind being put out of their comfort zone. And just, it's a good skill. So I know I, know I have it or I've grown into it. So I, I use it. I embrace it, I think is the way to do it. Yeah, man. How early did you start to get interested in computers and tech? I think it was around like 94 or 95 or something like that. How old um, would you have been at that time? 17 or something like that. I think like any kind of real computer would have been around then. Because I, I still remember my there was this local computer shop in Summerside. Um, but they had this program at the hospital where they would hook you hook you up with a computer and they would take it like off your pay, right? Uh -huh. So my mom got us this computer. It was like, 486 sx or something i still remember this thing it had like windows 95 on it or i mean yeah it was right around that time and you couldn't do much right like you'd go and you download something you wouldn't even know well, what it yeah, is they're, be they're, like a that's picture. pretty early on like oh, I, big, I think yeah, i only got online around 98 so you're four or five years ahead of that yeah you had dial you had a dial up right yeah. you had to take your phone line like no one could call you and, and like it was uh, and I still remember there's this program called Roger Wilco. Like there's stuff that I don't remember. Like my wife, Jill, like refreshes my memory with everything in life pretty much. That's more than X time. But I remember certain things. And there's this pro program called Roger Wilco. And you could just pick a channel and you would be randomly connected with someone around the world. So I remember just like <laughs> picking channels and just lighting up a conversation with someone. You'd be like, where are you? What do you do? Like, who are you? And you'd have these like conversations with people just across the world. You wouldn't know anything about them. They'd be in Europe and different things like this. This so is like 96 so or something, there. right? Like it would have been before that because oh, right. I graduated high school in 95. So it was probably like grade 11, grade 12. Wow. I actually have this thing upstairs. It's called, um, it was like an economics class in grade 10 or nine. And I wrote this paper called the information highway or like it was on. And it was this whole paper on how this was going to, change the world and blow up and i got a great grade on it like i didn't do great at school right but this this thing i bought into i still have it somehow like back to the thing around my parents found it my mom keeps everything so we like have it in the house now it's kind of funny i'll share it with you next time yeah, i'd love to like, see that yeah yeah so you got it early 
yeah, it's worked out for me. Like, I mean, I have no complaints. I, I got on a good path. It's set me up for a pretty awesome life. So, Well, good for you, man. So, yeah, let's talk about Arctic. This is a company you started with four other partners. You know, you're growing quickly. You're making big inroads, especially with Google. And we can talk more about that. But do you remember what made you decide to leave the job you were at in 2016 and start your own company with these partners? I kind of got out on my own about four years before that. So I was, you know, working, I worked for Dell for a long time. Then I worked for a company called Simcor. And then I, I went out on my own at that point in time. So I decided to go out and do consulting and be like an independent consultant. Okay. And it wasn't because I hated what I was doing, but I was finishing up a lot of really big projects that, you know, I wasn't that excited about what was coming as far as like exciting projects. So it was time to make a change. So it was like, I, it was a very amicable thing, but I didn't really go looking for another job. I just started kind of looking for another gig, right? It became, I was moving more into like the gig, like your right, contract, sure. get paid for the projects or the hours you do. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of rolled the dice with that, but I had, I had good relationships and I found a couple good long-time contracts. Um, and I got involved with the startup out of Israel, out of a, a bunch of other guys that I had met through the years. They were starting this new company. So they, they just randomly reached out to me and asked my opinion, and I gave it to them. And then that turned into me starting on their technical advisory board, which turned into me working for them. And then we they brought the product like out of stealth mode. Mm-hmm. And then we we went at it. So I worked a few contracts, but I also did this pretty much full time. Was that Revella? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was this company called Rivello. So that was cool because I was the only Canadian. I was working with people mostly in Israel, but all kind of around the world. All our customers were everywhere. I was like up late at night working for, with people from Singapore. Like, again, you just do whatever you got to do and just learned a lot about like culture. I got to make lots of trips to Tel Aviv and got to see like all of Israel and that side of the world. That was that was eye opening because it was not what I was brought up to know what it was like watching CNN and, you know, how you get brainwashed to what it's like. It's it's a beautiful place. The people are beautiful. Everything about it I really liked over there. What was different about it than the stereotype you had in your mind? Think of back of when the, like, the Middle East war was going on, right? And all the Scud missiles and the stuff you see on TV. And you just kind of think of it's this war-torn kind of place. And, you know, it is, like, there's interesting stuff from a security perspective you see there. Like, it's... it's um you know, the, the military style of people coming out of school, they're all very well trained. It's just like anywhere else. It's just a really nice place. You go there, people are friendly, you don't feel like you're, you know, you're, you're risking your security or stuff like that. Right. But when I was going, I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to Israel next week. And my mom would be like, oh, you need to be very careful. Mm-hmm. there." And I'd be like, well, why? You know, people have perceptions of places is what happens. It's like everywhere. And you learn that the people there are just like everyone else. They just want to be happy. And, you know, enjoy time with their families the generation now is like i just want to you know have a family grow up have a good job enjoy myself i don't need to i don't need to have all that those problems that we've had in the past so there's still pockets of it. it's not perfect but yeah. nowhere nowhere's perfect right so right. you kind of have to embrace it um so yeah i'd love to get back there you think you'll do that anytime soon oh yeah i'm working with some a couple teams at google that have big teams there so i've been talking to them about we're making another trip like obviously i can't do that now but yeah it'll happen i'll yeah. get back there soon enough yeah, good for you so you're working with arctic they're big partners with google anthos right like you guys are globally one of the few go-to partners for anthos is that right I mean, I didn't even answer your last question to think about it is how we started Arctic. So I did the did the consulting thing 
um, we got bought by Oracle. So Oracle was coming in to buy Ravello. Yeah. That was going to work out pretty good for me. And then I kind of got asked, do you want to stay on? or do you, And I just decided, yeah, I think it's a time for me to move on and start the next thing. So how do you make that decision? What's What are you weighing? Well, there was a kind of an exit, right? So there was the Ravello thing was well, coming to the, an end. Right. I, you know, you have a, you know, there's a vesting, you have some options like you have. But they asked you to stay on, like you were saying. And so I kind of wanted to keep the startup thing going, right? Like mm-hmm. moving to a company like our Oracle would have changed everything. I'm this one guy in Canada, right? It was just everything changed. Like it was just about to change. Uh-huh. I was already dabbling in the cloud, like all the stuff we were doing at Ravello was bleeding edge technology it was like explaining to people the concept let alone helping them understand what it was i think i just wanted to get more out of like the data center where i was doing consulting and just move to software and open source and Mm -hmm. focus on that because it was the next emerging thing coming right Mm -hmm. like you got to get into these things early but if you want to get the upside but you also don't want to be too early if you're too early you got to ride out everybody catching up to finding out that you're relevant so yeah i think we just started talking as a group of you know the partners that came together there was other people in the same mindset of wanting to kind of change and i had kind of already been doing the consulting thing i you know i kind of knew what i was doing i had some customers so i had people we could go get work from right away and then it turned into like let's do this right so started having conversations and seeing who was serious about it for me, it was a little easier. I was already working for myself, but other right. people had to like literally quit their jobs and it's a big you know, step. figure out how to get paid and pay your bills and like grind it out. And right. So it's it's a huge step. You're talking about partnering with Google on Google Anthos. What does that mean for Arctic? Because I mean, Google, Google is it as far as tech. Yeah, I think this was uh, when I look back, uh, we, we used to, well, we still do. We have some other really good partnerships with like Red Hat. We were a really big partner. We were getting quite a few like North American awards from various partners. Uh-huh. And it goes back to about a little over two years ago. I was actually at my cottage in PEI and a couple gentlemen or they were they were asking around of who would be a good partner for Google in this area. Like Google was building something brand new. It was like a new project they were thinking of. And I got an intro from another guy that I had met from just networking and had friendships with. And I got introduced to these two guys that were in from California and they wanted to to meet with us. And I wasn't in Toronto. So I was like, sure, like let's have a call. So I did a call from my my bunkhouse in PEI before I had it kitted out. So I was sitting up in the bunkhouse and they were just asking a lot of questions. And I think I was very direct on, you know, I think that's a terrible idea or here's what I think you should do. And we just kind of built a relationship from there. And then we met up with them again in California uh-huh. at the Google Next conference. And they asked us if we wanted to be a design partner and help them build this product that they were dreaming up and coming to market. We just doubled down and started working with them and giving them feedback and testing. And, you know, it was a it was a big investment in time because there was there was nothing to sell at this point. Right. There was no services to do, but it, it worked out really good for us. And it's a big multiplying effect. We got introduced to more people. We got to do more work. Then we got introduced to more customers. And it's just been like a nice, harmonious relationship. Um, nobody's trying to screw each other over and especially since the way you characterized it is when you first met with them you were disagreeing on some things and it sounds like they like that people like that oh yeah that's what they wanted for sure they wanted real feedback on what they should do i mean 
one of the really good things, the Google team and the people, there's a lot of brilliant people that work there. They're very good at getting feedback from other people and they really take it seriously. They, they're very good at constructive feedback too. They don't take things that you don't like to heart. That's huge in every area, isn't it? I mean, I always bring it back to music, but yeah, you got to be able to take constructive feedback. Otherwise, how can you get better? Yeah. And they're building software products, right? So they have to you know, keep the tech side focused, but at the same time, they also have to figure out what it means to the market when they try to sell it Mm -hmm. or they try to get people on it. And they don't, they know they don't know the customer very well. So we spend a lot of time with customers and solving customer problems and they want that real world experience, you know, when they build their products, you can sit in a room and design the coolest features, but if no one wants them, you're just wasting your time, right? Yeah, yeah. So So can you explain for a lay person what Anthos is? Uh, you and I are chatting over a Google Meet, and there is some tiny little microservice, a little process in the background of some data center that's looking after this call for us and running all the things and transferring the video and audio. The The end goal of what we try to do is, you know, every company needs to update software and change it and patch security things. I mean, look at the stuff we're going through right now. Everything's moved online. So companies are probably scrambling to like, how do we handle order management? How do we you know, release software, update our website, get uh, alerts out to people, information. So that's usually pretty hard to do. It's very hard to release software without screwing it up. Anthos is a collection of tools. It's a whole service that allows customers to make that easier. So we're in this massive paradigm shift right now in how companies run infrastructure and run software. We're going through like a really big change. And it's all built on this Kubernetes construct that's also open source. So it's not proprietary software anymore. The The best software out there is stuff that's built by people, for people, and it's freely to use. People like right. contribute and fix things and it's free, like it's free software. So you have to find a way to monetize that somehow. Google has an awful lot of people just developing free software and putting it into the open source community. So they built a platform on top of this to make it easier to consume. Because one could argue a company could just go and grab all these 50, 100 open source projects and clobber all this together and make it work. But Uh it's really hard. So Anthos is a way, it's like a packaged offering of open source software so people can consume it and then they get support. When it breaks, they have someone to call. So there's, you know, insurance policies to a certain extent as well. I was doing some research before we talked and the first thing I saw about it was that it's hybrid, meaning some of it's on-prem and some of it's in the cloud is the idea that eventually everything's going to be in the cloud and that's the big shift is moving from on-prem to in the cloud for most big companies? Everyone's had this opinion that everything's going to move to cloud. Like, we'll just, we won't build software for on-prem. We're just not going to do it. Like, we're you're just going to catch up and move to cloud. But there's a lot of challenges with it. And um, there's regulation. There's, uh, you know, you can't put data in certain countries. You have to keep, like, there's a lot of regulation for certain companies. So the reality is, they have to support on-prem as this transition happens. It's going to take a long time. So Google's a little later to the game in the infrastructure cloud side. So they made a bet on this strategy of rather than forcing everyone into our cloud, why don't we support them to run on their own? And then the other thing they're doing is they're they're packaging up their software to run in their competitors' clouds. Uh-huh. So you can run Anthos in AWS. You'll be able to run Anthos on Microsoft's cloud really soon. So... Now that's a common experience that a customer can have. It's the same package of software. It looks and feels the same. Doesn't matter what cloud you're in. So if you need certain region support or 
you know, maybe you've got a big contract with one of those providers. You can you can leverage that and still have the same software experience. So, right. yeah, it's a big bet, but it's resonating with customers. I've heard you mention this earlier, being on the bleeding edge, and you got to be on the bleeding edge if you want to get the upside, but it's got to be at the right time. You know, I'm understanding a lot of what you're saying, not all of it. I imagine the people you deal with are often the same way because the decision makers are not necessarily the tech people, but they have to understand enough to be able to make a decision. And so it feels to me like the position you're in is having to be authoritative in a space where things are changing so fast and you're developing stuff at such a rate. And it seems to me like it must be a challenge to be authoritative. Do you know what I mean? Stand up in front of someone and tell them you know what you're doing when the only way really to figure it out is to test it. Yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta be able to get ahead of it and see it coming and put time into it. So there's a big investment side. So you want you don't want to walk into a customer and say do something if you haven't done it yourself or understand the edges of it mm-hmm. because you know if you screw it up they'll never have you back. Um, but the, I think customers nowadays are more they're looking for people that are opinionated even more. They want they want you to come in and tell them what to do and how to do it and then you know work with them to find the sweet spot and it's i think it's much of it's because it's software it's moving so fast it's changing all the time you know five years ago you walked into a customer and they kind of already knew what they wanted and they were like choosing what type of server they were going to buy or storage so you, you had to spend a lot of time changing their mind i guess if you thought if you wanted them to go in a different direction mm-hmm. um with us i think people are saying hey um you guys have done this before. Why don't you come in and help us do it? Make sure we don't make the mistakes that other people made. We want to use your experience to help us move faster. So that that's what it's all about. But a lot of it is we're building repeatable stuff. So we're getting away from the days of charging people by the hour for our time. And we're more um, selling results or selling like finished products or like project work. Right. Because we're automating a lot of stuff. So the reality is if, if we go and invest all this time and figure all this stuff out and automate everything, you know, it's not a great revenue model that every time we do it, it, it we get it faster and it's sooner or later it'll take like you press a button. So we're building a lot of like IP intellectual property around what we do and how we do it. So, and customers are okay with that. They just want the result. Just be honest with them. So we had Tim Fairweather, who's a partner with you at Arctic on uh, episode number 10 of the podcast here. One of the things we talked about is the idea that you want to break projects down into smaller chunks. You don't want to try and, I think his words were, boil the ocean. And that's sort of the way you approach this idea of turning away business almost because you're saying, no, 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 I, I don't want the bigger project. Let's just do a smaller one because the bigger one is a waste of time for many different reasons. I just like to hear you talk about that a bit. I think part of it is what I said earlier is around if we're going to put a result project together and say we're going to do it for X amount of dollars, then we need to be able to put it in a box that that we can do the work without it being like a two-year effort because you can't plan a two-year effort. You're never going to know how long that's going to take. And the reality is a lot of it is you know, your first couple of weeks is going to shape the rest of the project. You may want to change your mind. Right. And if you've responded to an RFP and you've committed to certain things, you're not going to be willing to change your mind because 
your project will be off the rails. Like someone's going to call you out on your contract, right? So we call it this, like, it's like this MVP concept, like minimal viable product. It's, it's well known in the software design. But my approach is we should be able to set milestones that are months, not years, and then just keep proving our value. And then, then customers will bring us in for the next project. So the other piece of it is I don't like going to a customer and saying, oh, you'll know if we've been, you'll know if we've been helpful to you in a year. Mm-hmm. Instead of we should be able to go like within a couple of weeks, we're going to show you value within a month. We're going to give you like a product within three months. We should be done of this effort talking about the next one. So it's just yeah. a lot of people over the years have chased big contracts and and tried to land these big contracts. But then just hope you'll figure it out on the way. We're, we're much more about just like let's re- constantly deliver good results and people will continue to hire us if we do good work. That makes all the sense in the world to me. The reason I wanted to highlight it is just it seems antithetical to the old model of just capture as much business as you can early on. This is more just good faith at every step. Yeah, I mean, we're small and nimble, though, too, right? So we can kind of get away with this stuff. I think as companies get bigger, you become a public company. You have to report to your shareholders. It's all about numbers. I mean, we don't have a sales force that we pay on commission. We just have avoided that on purpose because... We don't want to, we want to be able to pick the stuff that we're good at and the deals that are going to, you know, help us learn, help us grow and lead on to the other ones. And, you know, we want to work on the fun projects. Like we want to work on stuff we're interested in. Right. So it would be tough to have like a commission sales force out there saying, bringing like finding business and then they bring it in and we're like, no, we don't want to do that. Or it's not upper alley. I don't think we ever say we don't want to do it, but if we're not going to be great at it, then we tend to stay away from it like we want to be at the tip of the spear of what we're really good at and be known for that and we're busy so we're lucky we're lucky in the sense that we're busy with the work we want to really that excites us so we don't have to go and chase stuff that's not really well know, yeah it seems us get like anything in life is like that you gotta you gotta focus so we would probably be if this had been two weeks ago We'd be in person talking to each other. But since we're both in quarantine because of the COVID thing, it's crazy how quickly everything has changed. It's it's like this is normal now. We've adjusted. How's that been affecting you guys? I mean, personally, I'm pretty good. Like, um, I have a great setup in my office. I've got, like, I've put the time into, like, having a proper green screen and lighting. I mean, I do all my calls over video. I think it makes a huge difference to be able to, look someone in the eyes and like have a conversation with them instead of like just some emoji head on the end of the screen. So for me, I've just upped that even more um, and just making like the experience of meeting with people and having meetings just, you know, you got to adapt, right? So for us, we still have lots of projects. There's lots of projects we're finishing up. Uh, You know, I I underestimated this whole thing. This whole month for me, I, I'm supposed to be on a flight like tomorrow to California. You guys were Last supposed to do a big Google conference, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, we had like four talks at this conference. Like this was, we were gonna, we were hosting a party. I, we, I remember mentioning to you maybe flying to San Francisco and like playing at our party we were gonna have with all our customers, and it all kind of like fell apart. We had our our kickoff was supposed to be last week with our entire team in Montreal. We had to cancel that. Right. So yeah, it's been pretty disruptive that way. But again, like. We've kind of doubled down. We're gonna we we prepared all these talks for the conference. Um, it was supposed to be virtual, but now they've they've kind of postponed that. So, 
you're just going to see us release. We're just going to run our own conference. We're going to put out all the content we plan to put out. We're doing it all ourselves. We're going to do a lot more meetups. We've always worked remotely with customers. We don't, we, we just tell people to work wherever you're comfortable. Like we have an office and stuff like that, but we don't have any kind of rules. And so our, our team's still working hard and plugging away. I, I was talking to someone last night that someone, their friend has to show up at eight o'clock to a call and have their video on to prove that they're working and willing to work. And I'm just like, wow, I, if we yeah. ever get to that point, like we're, we're in bad shape. Like if you can't trust the people you work, that work for you, like in your company, you're in, you're in a bad spot already. Right. Yeah. yeah. Especially with all this stuff that's going on in this world. So yeah, I've heard some stories like that too. And I, it boggles my mind because I've been self-employed since I got out of high school. And I just think if you can't manage your projects, like I'm trying to picture being a manager in that situation where you're having to babysit everything, the amount of work that gets funneled into that for nothing when it's really not necessary if you set up the culture properly. So it sounds like that's not a concern for you guys. Your culture is just not like that. Yeah, I think we have to support people that aren't used to this new reality. Like I'm very, very used to working remotely with people. I've done it for years. So for me, it's not much of adjustment. You know, I got three kids. My wife's got a good schedule for them on the go now. None of this is easy. Like, right, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. But we have to support the team and help them get comfortable. Like, they're working some now beside their significant other in the house where they've never done that before. And so we have to be empathetic to that. We're all about just scheduling and figure out your calendar. We don't really tell you when to work. Just, you know, do good work and do good work for customers. And I think we'll all be in a good place. If if everyone takes that approach, we're good. So how about personally? How has it affected you now that you're working from home with your whole family there, like you're just saying about other people at Arctic? I'm pretty good. The only thing I fell back into is working like my office is like now 20 feet away. And I just have a lot, like I've been working a little extra at night, but I'm like a crazy multitasker, right? So, you know, we, I remember we were on a Zoom call the other night and I'm I, we like, why are you at your desk? Because I'm like, I'm, I'd rather like, we're just shooting the shit. So like, I'm going to work on something else. Like I'm editing a video or I'm like writing a document <laughs> or something. I don't really watch TV without my laptop on like, I don't know, I guess I can't do one thing at a time. Um, I'm trying to take advantage well. of it, but I don't know. We'll see. Like, I think... If this continues and the and the weather turns out east, we'll probably go out east earlier, head out to PI in June instead of July. I don't know. I, at this point, I'm just willing to go day by day. I, I was kind of assuming that this thing would die off when I first heard about it and I'd still do all these things. But it, this is like a serious deal. It's, it's sort of a before and after. It's kind of like a 9-11 thing, but without the shock. A different kind yeah, of shock. I'm surprised that my kids, they're all like just kids are so resilient nowadays. Like they're like, they just like chill. Like not just like, this is just something that, you know, they have to do. They're cool to stay home. We tell them to wash their hands more. They're not like asking crazy questions. Are they just like, yeah, okay, we get it. They just roll with it, right? It's amazing. Like, it's just amazing. They're so resilient. It's just like another thing that just came along. They'll deal with it and do what they're supposed to do and move on. So there's a lot to be learned from that, right? Yeah, like we still have uh, the kids are doing piano and guitar lessons. We just switched it to video. You just, I don't know, you just, you just got to figure it out. But I, I mean, I feel for a lot of people though. We're, we're very fortunate, like being in IT and being able to work from anywhere. And there's going to be people like there's a lot of people hurting already, right? And even like you think of the healthcare industry. Like my wife was at work today. Um, she works uh, like with pregnant ladies and and at a clinic and stuff like that. So the whole healthcare system is just the way they're 
cut. They do what they got to do. They don't, you know, it's amazing. That's a the big easiest deal. thing to do would be do, do nothing, right? Yeah. You'd just be staying home, but they're going out and fighting the fight for everybody else. So it's, that's pretty cool. It's a little nerve wracking at the same time. Yeah. But. It's a big deal. We got to be thankful for people like your wife, Jill. We're doing this talk. It makes me think you do talks like this, but in person, you've got the fireside chat that you've been doing on your Arctic YouTube channel. So I, yeah. I wanted to ask you, what what was the idea for that? What made you start doing that? The first one we did was uh, we ended up running this conference a couple of years ago by accident. So we were we were starting our Google partnership and then we were going to run an event just to kind of like do some demos and invite people to see it. And it, it got way out of hand, to be honest. So we invited some people, then more people signed up. So it ended up, we had like a couple hundred people signed up. And there was a, a guy who works for Google named Kelsey Hightower, who I've got to become friends with, who's just like a super nice guy, like nicest guy, one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Really tuned into the, all this new tech side, great speaker. He was coming to Toronto, so we, we got him to do the event with us. Mm-hmm. And then it turned into this all-day event at the Thompson Hotel. Like, we rented the hotel for the entire day. We had training sessions. We had, like, talks. And it ended up that um, we were going to get him to do a talk. And then him and I were talking, and he was like, how about we just do, like, a fireside chat? And I was like, sure, Kelsey. Like, I'm like, what the hell is a fireside chat? So I, like, started looking it up, and I was like, oh, okay. So this is just, like, you and I are just going to sit and shoot the shit and have a conversation. And he's like, yeah, let's just do that. And I'm like, okay, so I'll see you in Toronto. Right. Right. So him and I ended up doing this and then we recorded it and stuff. Um, we've had like a cheesy fireplace behind on the big screen. So we had fun with it. And then I just had just a list of topics. I had like five or six topics like listed on my phone. And then it ended up into this hour discussion in front of a room with a couple hundred people. And then I was like that, it was a lot of fun. Like it was a, I do I do a lot of demos and more prepared talking, uh-huh. which is like you got to grind it out and you test and prep and make sure everything works. And this is just like, let's see where it goes. I think you're such a natural as a host, man. I mean, you're just right on top of it. You're just, yeah, you could do a talk show, man. I think it's the key is not being too prepared. That's the I key. I think you need to be, I think so. I think the key is to have a few topics that you can get the thing rolling with. And then I think if you sit back and go, okay, this is the next thing I plan to talk about, but then it doesn't feel right. Or you, like you kind of just have to go with the discussion and just be willing to like take it in whatever direction it's going to go. Oh yeah. So it's good. You don't want to be unprepared, but you don't want to be prepared to the sense that you're you're not willing to go off your agenda because I think it loses all the naturalness of like what you're doing. You're having a live conversation with someone. I've learned so much doing this podcast, just talking to people. You get so much out of it, right? Yeah, and it's cool to see you getting into it because uh, it's a similar thing that I was doing is you just got to book it. You just got to get the people and you just got to like have conversations and something will come out of it. We'll both learn something like it's, it's fun. And I've been really enjoyed uh, listening to them. Right. Is a, I listen to them a lot at night is when I listen to podcasts, like just to slow my brain down from all the things I've been working on at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I couldn't agree more when you say not being too tied to whatever preparation you've done. Cause I'm a preparer, right? I've definitely had yeah. to like leave the script alone, man, just go with the conversation and be present and pay attention to what's happening in the moment as opposed to what you hoped would happen. I think that's just the, you know, that's the, maybe the little bit of East coast in me, as you said, like there's a, there is a, 
a lifestyle and an attitude of people that have that grew up there. They're a little more willing to roll with the punches. They're a little more easygoing. So, I mean, that for me is like getting back there every year just grounds me a little bit. I, I, I don't mind living in the hustle and bustle of a city, mm-hmm. knowing that I can take a couple months and not to say slow down. I still work lots out there, but you know, I can jump on my golf cart and drive to the beach in like a minute and spend an hour there and then go back to work and, there's something about just the speed there that just you, you just have no business being like high strung and like push push. People just like chill out, man. Like it's summer in PI, you need to relax. And I'm glad we have that. And I'm my, the family is like Molly, like we've been going there since Molly's been born. So she's, you know, over ten years we've been doing this. So it's it's pretty cool. We got to keep it up, and that's the plan. So it's a different pace. Good for you. I'm so happy you guys have that. So I want to get back to you talking about your green screen and how you're ahead of the curve on that too. And now you've had the whole setup to do what you're doing for the fireside chats, but also the web conferencing you do from your basement. You've been doing that. And then all of a sudden this COVID thing happens. What I'd like for people listening, is there other things you think that people should be paying attention to in tech or in the wider world where you think things are going? Where should people focus their attention as far as Kyle Bassett is concerned? Um, I know. I think there's a lot of like tech stuff that's just directly work related that I'm, I see coming, like new things people are developing that I want to get into. And I'm more of like, I don't want to sit and wait till it's like a real thing and everybody knows about it. I want to get in if I, if I smell that it's going to make a difference in this world or I want to get in early. And the way you do that is you reach out to the people that are working on it and you offer like your feedback and assistance and you offer to test and you offer to like get involved and no one's ever said no to me um, on that sense. And then that just grows into relationships and builds up. As far as more tech stuff goes, I don't know. I'm always looking for like the next thing, right? If we can build a product with Arctic, you got to pick the right thing at the right time, but you also don't want to get distracted from what you're doing. That, that's from on your the main right track, focus. But yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's more with my kids trying to make sure they're well-rounded and adapted and they can understand how this stuff works. And we talked about that a little bit with Tim Fairweather when he was on, you know, with your kids, what are you teaching them to get them prepared for what's coming? it's all timing stuff right and i think right now we're we're trying to get them into the arts a little bit because they're they're pretty savvy with the computer and i mean even elise my youngest knows how to fire up the chromebook and like find her youtube channel and all that kind of stuff um so that's just you know, coming naturally Molly. it's just a thing like when she's been doing it since she's two right like she's known how yeah. to work an ipad it's crazy it's like they can adapt so quickly into this stuff the kids are interested in music now. So like trying to get like Molly's learning uh, piano, uh, Lila's learning guitar. So I want to double down on that stuff a little bit. Cause I think that stuff's super important. It's going to help them in so many other ways outside of just being stuck on a computer all the time. I, right. You know, if anything, you got to watch anything, that I though, can... Kyle, you don't want them to get too into it. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> it's a dark path. Yeah. They end up in a van down by the river. Yeah. <laughs> playing a new show every night well yeah. i don't know i i think it's there's a there's a big part you mentioned earlier like you said you're you're an introvert but you it forced you to become more of an extrovert and get out there and, and just do stuff that put you out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. i don't know when i figured that out but when i figured out that you may be nervous to do something or you don't want to 
you know, what are people going to think about me? How are they going to react to this? Once you get by that part of just like, I'm just going to do it and just roll the dice. What's the worst that's going to happen? It opens up a whole new world for everyone because then you're not scared to go talk to random people. When I learned how to walk up to people and go, hey, I'm Kyle. What's your name? What are you doing here? It's like a superpower, right? Because the person you're talking to just wants someone to do that or they wish they would do that. If I can teach my kids some of that skills, I'll be proud of that for sure, because that's one thing that's certainly served me very well in life. Thank you for that. That's really well articulated, man. I think I could really take a lot of that to heart. So I think that's a great note to end on. Thank you for that wisdom. (laughs) We're all in this together, right? You tend to gravitate to people that are of the same mindset, but we're also different. The mindset piece is important. And just be open-minded to meeting anyone. That's a good motto to live by. I don't think it's mine. I learned it from somebody, I'm sure. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to do this, Kyle. I really appreciate it. Cool, Zabo. Well, keep it up, man. I think people are loving what you're doing. You've had some awesome guests on here. I'm pretty humbled to be able to be one of them. So happy to contribute to this ride you're on and keep it up. I love your conversation. They've been so wide and so many different kinds of people you've been talking to as well. Thanks, man. There you go. Kyle Bassett. What a fascinating dude. What did I tell you? Didn't that penalty minutes story say a lot? Friggin' team player for sure. I think if more people adopted that approach, we'd all be better off. I certainly could do better on that front, you know? Just do your job, man. Do what the team needs. Okay, so like I said at the top of the show, if you want to book me for a private Zoom concert, email me at rob at robzabo.com or even if you just want to get more info. All right, folks, I hope you're being good to yourselves. I hope you're keeping in touch with the folks that you need to keep in touch with. I hope you're supporting the folks that need support. We can do this. Thank you so much for being part of this ongoing experiment. It's been really fulfilling for me so far. I hope you're digging it. So take care. I'm here every Wednesday. Talk to you next Wednesday. Thanks for giving a shit. And Sometimes Why is brought to you by Rob Savo. Conversations are edited by Todd Donald.